Colonial. From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Friday edition, I'll be joined by Meg Kilgannon, our our senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council. She'll be in studios. We take a look at the issues in education that continue to be at a boiling point across the country. In fact, yesterday, in advance of another meeting of the Fairfax County School Board, the head of the Fairfax NAACP was calling for the death of those who oppose critical race theory and other left-wing priorities. We're going to talk about it. And then there was Joy Behar on The View saying teens should be able to get vaccinated and get abortions regardless of what their parents think. Uh, These kids are at the mercy of these ignorant parents, in my opinion. And yes, they should be allowed to do it. Well, you want to talk ignorant? We can talk about that, but we'll talk uh, about this assault on parental rights with Mary Holland, president and general counsel of Children's Health Defense. Of course, it doesn't stop there as the left has accelerated their efforts with unbelievable sex education programs being taught in America's classrooms. What do you need to be looking for when your children return to the classroom? And what can you do, not only for your children, but for all of the children that are captive to these government schools? We'll get some insights from Sharon Slater, president of Family Watch International. And finally, it has been a busy week here in Washington, D.C. FRC's vice president of policy and government affairs, Travis Weber, will be here with a wrap-up of what you need to know from this week, and more importantly, what you need to do with what you know. That's coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on the free speech platform of uh, Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. All right, let me bring in my co-host for today, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at FRC. Meg, welcome. It is so nice to be here, Tony. Good to have a co-pilot today, um, and especially on this issue. I mean, this is your issue of education. You're our resident expert. You were in the Trump administration in the Department of Education. I was. I was in the depart in the uh, director of the office for um, faith and opportunity initiatives. And in that role, I was able to look at everything because people of faith are concerned about all the issues. And, and that's what people need to understand. Throughout the Trump administration, those offices were established, and they were, because uh, I, I worked with the, the, the White House, and in fact, a number of our people ended up in the administration in these spots that were looking out for policies that uh, would be in conflict with the values of you know, the, the vast majority of Americans, in particular of uh, evangelical voters. Yes, I was so pleased when I got to the department to discover the work that had been done in the previous three years to advance religious liberty um, and to, to really pay attention to the concerns that people have about opportunities for religious expression in schools and so many, many things, access to campus for, for religious groups on college campuses and, and uh, high school campuses. It was really uh, a really wonderful group of people there who were very committed to religious So they've, they've obviously changed the title and the door of the office you had to now the <laughs> director of attacks on religious freedom wow. and values because this week the Biden administration, the Department of Education, directing schools to set up vaccination stations on site. Right. Now, this is... Uh, I mean, 
And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, later in the next segment because uh, D.C. actually is doing this. But there's there's jurisdictions across the country, Massachusetts, announcing they're pursuing a, a broadening of their vaccine program for children of all vaccines, not specifically the COVID, but doing this in spite of parental concerns or even opposition. Right. Well, you know, you have children at school and you have school officials at school, but who's not at school? The parents are not at school. So when you're delivering a service like vaccines to uh, children on campuses, this is a very dangerous situation that it's easy to imagine how children who were not given permission by their parents to receive a shot might receive one. Um, There'd be tremendous pressure on kids socially to either receive or not receive a shot. I mean, this is not a healthy environment in which to make medical decisions. Well, not not to mention the fear-mongering that's been going on in the media, social media, and by government. In fact, uh, this week, uh, the, uh, the Surgeon General issuing statements about the concern about not having vaccinations and how we need to increase this because of the threats. And, I mean, of course, the media is so eager uh, to stoke those flames of fear. And so right. kids, we've seen this. We've seen the, the psychological issues with kids during the, the shutdown and this, uh, this constant fear-mongering. So, you know, hey, th- this is the answer, as they tell us, to get this <laughs> vaccine and all of life is going to be good and you won't have to worry about anything. Then, I mean, kids are going to jump in line. Exactly, especially if they're enforcing a mask mandate on children who haven't had the vaccine. That's going to really... Kids hate wearing those masks, right. and you know, as anyone you know can imagine. So, the 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 situation is really um, is really very fluid. Um, the secretary Secretary Card- Cardona went so far as to assure people and his dear colleague that they they could use their COVID funds to open up these vaccine sites um, in the schools, so money would not be a barrier. He encouraged them to offer you know sort of bribes. Uh, scholarship opportunities, prizes, these kinds of things to entice children to become vaccinated. And um, this is just not a a healthy way to make medical decisions, right? Meg, let me, me, uh, from a parental standpoint, my kids are not in the public schools. We've homeschooled our kids, and I encourage parents to look at other options because the schools have become a a war zone of values, and your kids are the targets. But if, let's say, let's all right, COVID-19, all right, there's this threat. And so we're going to do this. We're going to set up these vaccination stations. And you know what, kids, you, you need this. You know, doesn't, doesn't know, doesn't matter what your parents think. There's nothing that keeps this to being limited just to COVID. Correct. Correct. What other kind of healthcare services might be delivered in these vaccines? They start out as vaccine sites, right? And then you end up with a full, full-on school-based health clinic. Um, in the end, which can deliver all kinds of services. And given the fact that uh, we're going to hear from, you know, Sharon Slater in the C block about uh, comprehensive sexuality education, the push for um, gender identity rights and the medicalization of gender identity. Um, these are really concerning the, the access to contraceptives, access potentially to abortion or abortifacient drugs. This is not something we should be taking lightly. Is there a chance that these uh, vaccines become mandatory for kids to attend these government schools? I, I think that you have sort of that de facto situation right now. Um, the, the, teacher, the teachers' union 
um, refused to go back to school until the, ma- the vaccine was available to them. But in Fairfax County, they said from the very beginning of the pandemic that they those their teachers union said that they were not going back to school until all the teachers were vaccinated and all the students were vaccinated. Yeah. So you, it's a if you look at the maps of, of where kids are getting vaccinated and what vaccinated and what schools have these programs, it's a very um, you know, blue-red divide. You, you mentioned Fairfax County. There was a, a school board meeting there last night, and before that there was a rally outside. And I have a clip that I want to play from the local NAACP uh, president uh, who spoke at, at this rally outside of uh, the, uh, the school board. Play, let's play that clip. Let's prepare our children for a world they deserve. Let's deny this off-key band of people that are anti-education, anti-teacher, anti-equity, anti-history, anti-racial reckoning, anti-opportunity, anti-health people, anti-diversity, anti-platform, anti-science, anti-change agent, anti-social justice, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-LGBTQ+, anti-children, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-environment, anti-emissions policy change, anti-inclusion, anti-live and let live people. Let them die. Don't let these Now, Meg, it's a little hard to hear from that audio, but uh, there was this rant of uh, anybody against any of the leftist priorities, let them die. Yes, it was preceded by, if you were anti-inclusion, anti-live and let live people, let them die. Yeah. (laughs) So... This is pretty. Um, this is pretty typical antics for Fairfax County School Board. Uh, Michelle, meeting, leader of the NAACP for the Fairfax chapter, of course, pushing critical race theory. What happened at the board meeting last night? Um, the all the fireworks were outside the board meeting. They elected their their officers and um, conducted the regular business. The the that clip that you saw was pretty much the highlight of the evening. But there was a good news story in Virginia last night in Russell County where that school board voted to um, reject critical race theory, unanimously voted to reject critical race theory, and they voted to not adopt the transgender policy that's coming down from the State Board of Education in Virginia. So we have the, the, the good and the bad to talk about today. So well, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about that good. What was behind it? How, how the, did we arrive at that? That outcome. We have a wonderful organization in Virginia called the Virginia Family Foundation, and they did a lot of work helping to spread the word about this meeting. Uh, generally speaking, all you have to do is let good people know what's going on, and parents will rise up and demand what's best for children. So, so this is another example when parents get involved, yes. they're informed, and they show up and take the, the time uh, to express themselves, we we can change the we outcome. Absolutely, can make a difference. We absolutely can. Um, the, it, the the situation in, in you know in certain areas, maybe we won't have the numbers to make to make it come completely our way. But it is always important to express these views to provide a counter vision for these issues, um, to to uphold the family and, and to let people know that that there is another opinion and that there are other ways to do things. 
Going back to this uh, mask and vaccine mandate, uh, that potential mandate, but we see this move toward this with uh, jurisdictions expanding uh, vaccination sites, doing it on schools without parental authority. How can parents push back on this? Well, I I think it's really, really important for you to not uh, think to yourself, oh, surely they won't do that in my county. We, we live in a great place. We live with conservative people and our, neighbor, and our neighbors are our church friends, and, and this is not going to happen where I live. You absolutely must, must investigate what's going on at your school. There are plenty of red states with great governors who've lifted these mandates, but the little blue school boards in those red states right. are continuing this sort of policy. And so it really is up to us to make our voices heard, and people will respond. Yeah, and, and again, uh, parents, I remind you that God has given you and I as parents the responsibility and the authority to educate, to train up our children, and we can delegate the authority. We can, we can delegate that to a, to a government school, to a private school, but we cannot delegate the responsibility. God will ultimately hold us responsible. All right, we're going to continue our conversation. Meg Kilgan and my co-host today, we're going to be talking with Mary Holland of, Chris, of Children's Health Defense next about a lawsuit against the District of Columbia right here in our nation's capital trying to vaccinate children without telling their parents. It's happening here in our nation's capital. You want to hear about it, don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right on the other side of this break. reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, 
fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, along with Meg Kilgannon, our co-host today. Uh, on Monday, Parental Rights Foundation and Children's Health Defense filed a lawsuit against Washington, D.C., arguing that a 2020 law permitting minors to obtain vaccinations without parental consent is unconstitutional. The D.C. Minor Consent for Vaccinations Amendment Act of 2020 allows minors 11 years and up to consent to vaccines, including the COVID shot, without parental knowledge or consent. If the health care provider believes the minority is capable of meeting the informed consent standard. Wow. Well, joining us to talk about this is Mary Holland, president and general counsel of Children's Health Defense. She is also the co-author and co-editor of the books Vaccine Epidemic and the HPV Vaccine on Trial, Seeking Justice for a Generation Betrayed. Mary, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me. Mary, can you tell us about what prompted you to file the lawsuit? So this is a very dangerous law that the Washington, D.C. City Council passed, and Congress did not override it. So we were sort of watching this process. This is potentially precedent-setting. The pharmaceutical industry had tried this in many states, but they have bicameral legislatures, and they did not succeed because parents opposed it. But in D.C., with only a unicameral legislature, they were able to get this through. This is so dangerous for children because parents won't know what vaccines their children get. It goes beyond just the parents don't know. This is active concealment required by this law so that parents who filed religious exemptions will not know that their children got vaccines, whether it's the human papillomas virus vaccine or whether it's a COVID shot or whether it's a meningitis shot, the kids allegedly can consent to any federally recommended vaccine on their own, and the parents won't even find out about it from their uh, health insurer. It will be concealed from the parents. The school will have access to this information, and the healthcare pra- practitioner, but the healthcare practitioner and the school are disabled from giving that information to the parents. 
this is unconstitutional. It also violates the federal statute that put in place the vaccine program that we have today. So we strongly oppose it. We, we believe that we will prevail on this. We have four uh, parents on behalf of their children who are enrolled in the D.C. public school system. And uh, we think that we, we feel that this is an incredibly important law to challenge because it is so potentially precedent. We just add that four cities have already sort of declared this mature minor act. And so Seattle and in New York City and in Philadelphia, they have been inviting children without their parents' knowledge to come and get COVID shots. This is tremendously uh, concerning. I mean, this would appear to me, as you've described it, Mary, intentionally designed to deceive parents. Uh, and, and with this being concealed, I mean, I have to think about, you know, there could be complications. Uh, you know, when you get this, uh, the, the, the COVID, let's just take the COVID. There's others that this would open the door to. So it's not limited to the COVID shot. But let's say they get the COVID shot. And we already know that there have been um, some health complications for some who have gotten these shots. And a parent doesn't know all of a sudden their child could be deathly ill and they don't know why. Tony, there have been other over 9,000 reported deaths. There have been over 400,000 reported injuries. The COVID shots in particular are very serious medical interventions. But every vaccine, like every drug, carries potential benefits and potential risks. That's why parents have to play a role in these decisions. These are minors. It is inconceivable to me that an 11-year-old can adequately research and understand the potential benefits and risks of a COVID shot. This is nonsense. This is the pharmaceutical industry coming in and exploiting children, uh, you know, at the children's expense and trying to cut parents out of the picture. It's just unacceptable. It's un-American, it's unconstitutional, and it violates federal law. We're really grateful that you filed this lawsuit. I, I think it's in, incredible to me that a, a governing body, in it, which in this case is the school board, right, and the city council, that would, they would think that 11-year-olds could know their medical history sufficiently to, to actually form intelligent consent to any medical procedure, never mind a vaccine. That's it, Meg. This is dangerous. Children can potentially die from this law. That's what parents have to understand. Your child could die from getting four COVID shots to at school. And the kid doesn't know what the shot was. They said, oh, yeah, give me the shot, sure, so our class can get the pizza party. And then the mom or the dad takes the kid to get two more COVID shots. We don't know what that would do. It might be within a short period of time. I just can't bring across enough how dangerous this is and how exploitative this is. And I would add that, to add insult to injury here is that they're going to bill the parents health insurer uh, without them even knowing what the service provided was. I mean, this is incredible. It's in, that's the point, Tony. It's incredible. We could not believe this as this passed through the city council. And then it sat on the mayor's desk and we tried to get people to call into the mayor. And there were there was hundreds of thousands of, of emails and phone calls, but that didn't move anything. And then it went to Congress and there's a waiting period in Congress and that didn't do anything. So truly, we have had no choice. And another organization has also filed a lawsuit 
This one is where we absolutely have to take a stand. It is, it, and, and of course, this is specifically going against parents with religious exemptions or conscientious objections to the HPV vaccine, to Gardasil. So it's parents who've already filed their religious exemptions to great extent that they're trying to go around. So this is, of course, also violating constitutional rights to free exercise of religion. It's just a terrible law. In a word, it's a terrible law. And uh, we're proud to be standing together with plaintiffs and with parental rights. Mary, we appreciate you joining us, and we're going to watch this uh, very closely, and uh, we'll be getting updates from you, hopefully, so we can keep our listeners informed. This is a direct attack, Meg, on parental rights. Yes. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Absolutely. They want want to leave the parents out. They're going deliberately around them. And we we cannot allow that uh, to occur. All right, folks, I'm going to encourage you to stay with us. Meg Kilgannon, my co-host today. We're going to be joined next by Sharon Slater, president of Family Watch International. We're going to be taking a look at some of these other radical, crazy sex ed policies that are being pushed in classrooms across America. Stay tuned. Don't go away. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org slash blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you on the website, TonyPerkins.com. Meg Kilgannon, senior, uh, senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council, my guest host today. Meg, good to have you with us. It's really great to be here. 
Well, we're going to turn now to uh, what's happening in classrooms when it comes to uh, sex education. Yes. And, and this is something we talk about a lot. But my take on this, Meg, is that we're seeing an acceleration of this under this administration. Very much so. Very much an acceleration. Um, they they were the Obama administration, of course, was very very uh, progressive on these issues, and the Biden administration has picked up and moved the ball. And, and class will soon we be in session, it. and this stuff's going to be right in the middle of the classroom. Joining us to talk about this, Sharon Slater. She is the president of Family Watch International. Uh, Sharon, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, thank you, Tony and Meg. It's an honor to be with both of you. We're, we're so happy to have you here, Sharon, because you've been working in this field for a while now, and we've had all of this build up over critical race theory, and people are really, really engaged. And this is the sort of energy that we've been trying to to uh, to spur with with uh, talking about comprehensive sexuality education. So maybe you could explain to us how the two are are a little related, and and what really is comprehensive sexuality education. Well, according to the American College of Pediatricians, comprehensive, comprehensive sexuality education is one of the greatest assaults on the health and innocence of our children. We actually have a full website um, designed to help stop comprehensive sexuality education at stopcse.org. And on that website, you'll find our comprehensive sexuality education analysis tool. It has 15 harmful elements that we've been able to identify. And little known to most parents is under the Obama administration, the U.S. government started spending over $100 million on comprehensive sexuality education, getting it to your children with your tax dollars. And as was just mentioned now under the Biden administration, in fact, just this week, the, the House Appropriations Committee just approved $130 million for this radical, comprehensive sexuality education, which sexualizes children. We sometimes call it abortion rights, sexual rights, LGBT rights, indoctrination education, or sexualization education. Right. So, so Sharon, let me ask you this question, because just recently up in Washington State, uh, a flyer was passed out to, I think it was fifth graders, um, and the, the school, after the parents found out about it, went into retreat, apologized, and said, oh, it was left over from Planned Parenthood to use to teach a course in here. Who is it that is behind these sex ed programs in our nation's schools? Well, if you go to Planned Parenthood's website, you will find that they actually brag about being the largest provider of comprehensive sexuality education or sex education in the United States. They're sending their teachers that have been trained in the radical gender and sexual rights ideology into the schools. In fact, um, what used to be the Santa Cruz publishing arm of Planned Parenthood is now something called ETR and Associates, and they mostly have a monopoly on all the curriculum that is being ordered through the U.S. government. Those who are getting federal grants, part of that $100 million, they're usually getting their programs from ETR and Associates which peddles all of the Planned Parenthood programs with all the harmful elements that we've talked about. 
Right. And those, the, the thing that I love about the information on your website is that you really equip parents to examine their own sex ed curricula in their school, and you have forms there that they can use to guide them and what what to look for, how to document things, so that when they want to speak out about this, they are completely prepared. Right. You can also click on our USA map and click on your state, and you'll get your state profile. You'll see all your um, laws related to parental rights, sex education. You can even click on the chart that tells you what comprehensive sexuality education programs have received federal funding in your state. And I'll just give you an example of a popular federally funded program. It's in my state of Arizona, and it's called Making a Difference. And in it, it has a worksheet that says, what is abstinence? How can we express our sexual feelings? And it has this list that the teacher is supposed to elicit from the children. And as part of that list, it will say, holding hands, saying, I like you, touching each other's private parts, grinding, and other types of sex. That's what they're teaching children to come up with this list to express their sexuality to each other. And they call that abstinence education. Right. Yeah, they actually call that abstinence education, which is absolutely crazy because it's that's that's what that's comprehensive sexuality education. You know, we don't have time to unpack this uh, because we're up against a break. But but Sharon, I think talking about Planned Parenthood being in the schools, teaching the uh, the, the sex ed programs. I mean, they benefit from sexualizing our kids. I mean, that's. You know, that's what they want. They want, a, they want a whole population that is engaged in sexual behavior. They benefit from that. Incredible. Well, that's exactly right, because they're going to sell them condoms, contraceptives, abortions. Now Planned Parenthood is even selling cross-sex hormones, and these are, are huge money makers. I mean, that's like 2000 can be up to $2,000 a month, you know, over a lifetime if they continue with that. I mean, this is just unconscionable. Comprehensive sexuality education is like a marketing plan for Planned Parenthood. And we would encourage everybody who's listening to this show to become part of the solution to fight this in your state. We have another website called Protect. Sharon, Sharon, we're going to have to leave it there. We're up against a break. Thanks for joining us. As always, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for being with us. Folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break, Travis Weber joins us with an update from what's been happening here in our nation's capital this week. Don't go away. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. 
You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, joined today by Meg Kilgannon, my co-host. Well, how's it, how is it in the co-host seat over there? It's exciting. Yeah. It's fun to be here. Yeah, as long as we keep everything, uh, you know, uh, like in, in the planes, you just keep uh, keep the right side up? Yes. So, all right, we're right side up. A um, lot happening uh, here in Washington, D.C. this week. Actually, a lot happening across the, the, around the world. In particular, we haven't had a chance to uh, to focus heavily on it, but the issue of Cuba and what is happening there, my, my hope is to turn to that Monday. Uh, but one of the things I've been monitoring is I've been getting reports that there have been religious leaders uh, that have been uh, abducted in some cases, uh, others fearful about what is unfolding there. Uh, President Biden, quite frankly, the administration, I would have thought would have spoken out on this. They've been avoiding it. But finally, yesterday, uh, President Biden made at least a, uh, a passing statement when he was asked a question. Uh, here's what he had to say. Communism is a failed system, universally failed system. And uh, I don't see socialism as a very useful substitute, but that's another story. Uh, yeah, that is another story, and I'm sure we're going to have plenty of opportunities to talk about that. But uh, speaking of the religious aspects of this, we, you know, we often see religious leaders targeted, and that was uh, something that was talked about uh, quite prominently this week at the International Religious Freedom Summit uh, here in Washington, D.C. It's uh, it, uh, Religious leaders are often targeted, but also they are r- tremendous signs of hope in countries that are oppressed. That's why they take them out. And, exactly. And so wh- you, you've, we've seen footage of people gathering around churches and, 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 and 
you know, demanding their religious freedom. And, and we need to, as Americans, really appreciate the, the, the blessing that we have here with our religious liberties and seek that for others. That's right. And that was a, a prominent theme uh, this week at the International Religious Freedom Summit that ended last night. Uh, joining us now to talk more about that is Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council and the Director of our Center for Religious Liberty. He wears a lot of hats. Uh, Travis Weber. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. Well, let's uh, let's start there. But there's a lot to uh, unpack for this week, and I want to give uh, people some uh, uh, action items, inform them, but uh, what what uh, steps they need to be taking because there's some things that happened yesterday they need to know about and act upon. But let's start there with the International Religious Freedom Summit. Uh, Your sense of how that went? Tony, I think it went really well. Um, You know, we heard a lot over the past few days from activists, victims, uh, leaders. Uh, Specifically, uh, China was a big point of focus, obviously, um, Nigeria as well, and other issues across the African continent. That was the subject of FRC's side event panel that uh, we ho- hosted on Wednesday. Uh, yesterday, um, our lunch uh, focused on China, and we heard from Senator um, Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton, as well as Grace Gao, whose father is imprisoned in China, a Christian human rights attorney, imprisoned for his opposition to the regime and speaking up for the defenseless. She hasn't heard from him in four years. And so these are really important stories to be able to bring out so people understand the personal impact of the issue and uh, continue to advocate for religious freedom by letting their elected officials know this is an important issue to them and other Americans, and they want our leaders to act on it. The, uh, I would say probably a prominent theme that was throughout the summit was that as Meg was saying a minute ago, you know, we have religious freedom here in the United States, uh, and we have freedom of speech, and we have a responsibility to utilize that to the benefit of others. Absolutely. You know, and, and Tony, this is something that we've talked about. Um, Andrew Brunson, who's a special advisor on this issue to FRC, has mentioned this. Uh, and, and you heard it at the um, at the summit, Ambassador Brownback, other leaders that I've been in conversations with privately have expressed this. I think we're seeing a renewed interest in addressing issues domestically because many are recognizing. I know of, of activists and advocates who have exclusively worked on international religious freedom who are now within the last two years looking at domestic religious liberty, realizing we need to turn our eyes to this because if we don't protect it here, we're not going to even have a platform to advocate for it internationally. So I think this is a theme of the summit. We heard it from multiple quarters. It's something that's being talked about more and more privately, and um, I think we're seeing a lot more interest in this um, because, yeah, as you said, without without protections for it here, we are um, we're going to be at a loss for being able to advocate around the world. Well, let's uh, let's move now domestically because a lot happened on Capitol uh, Hill this week. Uh, in particular, uh, for the first time since uh, since 1993, coming out of the Appropriations Committee was a labor appropriations bill that did not contain the Hyde language. And we got to go back to uh, the Bill Clinton time when that came out of committee. Of course, it didn't uh, survive that on the floor. The language was put on. It's been there since 1976. We're at a a very significant turning point in history. We are. And, um, you know, it's important that people understand the Democrats are 
making a very concerted effort to remove Hyde, remove Hyde protections, force taxpayers to fund abortions, and basically get more aggressive with their abortion advocacy, all at a time when the trends uh, for life across America are going in the opposite direction. More Americans are pro-life. We're seeing that reflected in politics. We're seeing more bills protecting life at the state level, more leaders willing to protect life. Yesterday in the House Appropriations Committee hearing, mark and markup on the Labor HHS bill that that uh, you know, which which is the bill that you reference as lacking the hide hide protections at this point. You had almost all Republicans throughout the course of the day standing up in defense of of Hyde, Andy Harris uh, from Maryland, but many others joining him in defending the need for Hyde. Rosa DeLauro, uh, top Democrat, so frustrated by this, she had had to come in after this and basically <laughs> kind of argue for why she thinks Hyde needs to be stripped and argue for her pro-abortion extremism because she was so caught off guard by the momentum on the life side from Republicans. We know Leader McConnell put out a statement yesterday and, and made remarks on this. So I think uh, what we're seeing is Trends going in favor of life, the Supreme Court taking up the Dobbs case, hopefully going to give us a ruling, many, many, many state bills being introduced, hundreds of state bills on the life question, and uh, at the same time, Democrats digging in their heels. And this is reflected in this bill coming out of committee yesterday. It's going to move through the House, along with other appropriations measures, which FRC is tracking and working on cutting um, the, the provisions from them to the degree we can that harm life, harm the family, and harm freedom. And so... Uh, this is an important milestone for people to be aware of. We're not going to stop and have to continue to um, to handle these, this on, in Congress as best we can. Well, that's one of the really wonderful things about working at Family Research Council is the just profound commitment to life that's in the organization and the work that you do to keep members of Congress informed. And there's a new resource that we have on fetal dignity. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yes, yeah, so this is a, a resource as you mentioned, field dignity. So what is field dignity? It's it's basically the area of pro-life advocacy that says how do we care for the dignity of the unborn? One area is proper uh, care for fetal remains. We've seen this issue become a problem when, when there's the discussion over uh, the provision of baby body parts to Planned Parenthood. We, we all know about the David Leiden videos that came to light a few years ago. Uh, Dr. Klopfer in Illinois storing uh, the fetal remains in his garage. I mean, these horrific, grotesque examples of the violation of the dignity of the unborn. So legislatures, and they have been moving at the states, a number of states have protected fetal remains. It's an important area that we need to continue to advocate for. There's bills moving on the hill in this, and people need to know uh, know about this, understand the ethics of fetal tissue research, uh, proper care for fetal remains. That's all in this issue brief, which um, we have up on our website, and among other pro-life resources, is available at frc.org slash life. Uh, Travis, let me go back to uh, the Hyde Amendment for just a moment, because I want people to understand the significance of this moment. You know, f- since 1976, Henry Hyde, former uh, congressman from Illinois, now uh, deceased, he brought this forward. This has been middle ground in which, you know, people who were okay with abortion, those who were not, all agreed that no one should be forced to pay for it. And so that's been bipartisan, even President Biden. Uh, supported that position over and over and over again because it's an annual rider that has been routinely voted on. This is the first time it looks like it's going to be advanced. It is not in the president's budget. Uh, There's also uh, conscience protections for uh, medical workers. That's not in uh, the president's budget. So these policy riders that are attached to these spending bills, that's just the way it works here in Washington, D.C., 
are not there. So people can weigh in on that. They can go to frc.org slash save hide and register their concerns with their uh, members of Congress. How important is it that they do that? It's very important, Tony, because as you say, um, we've been in these fights year in and year out. Usually the status quo is acceptable in some capacity with some, some polishing around the edges. The status quo, though, is that these riders are in this bill, these bills, and uh, that, that means no taxpayer funding for abortion. Dems are trying to up the ante on that this year and uh, remove Hyde, among other, among other uh, revisions to these, this bill and other appropriations bills. Um, so, you know, we look back over years and years of, of accepting a, a, a sort of uh, uh, truce of sorts, you know, a truce, uh, I want to say of sorts, because they will tr- the, the Democrats will try to get aggressive around the edges. This is a full frontal attack on, on life forcing taxpayers to fund it. People need to weigh in, and they can do so. As you mentioned, um, we can go to frcaction.org slash save hide, and um, that will bring them to a page where they can easily communicate with their elected officials and let them know where they stand on life and that taxpayers should not be forced to fund it, to fund abortion. This is a fundamental change from I'm old enough to remember when Democrats used to say things like we need abortion should be safe, legal and rare. Right. They weren't necessarily advocating openly for abortion rights or abortion on demand without apology or shouting their abortions like we hear activists doing today. This is a huge change in our culture that I think is represented by their willingness to abandon Hyde. It it is. There's a couple of things at, at play here I think people need to understand. One, someone said, well, you got Nancy Pelosi in charge of the House. The, the Democrats have the majority. you got Joe Biden in the White House. Uh, this is going to go through. No, not really. Now, it will probably go through the House. The vote's going to take place in the House week after next. But that doesn't matter. Whether or not it's going to happen does not matter, should not dictate what we do. We need to make sure that the elected officials, whether they're going to support Hyde or not, know that this is important. Yes. The majority, almost one, uh, almost six out of every ten Americans agree we should not be forced to fund abortions. So they need to hear that, and this is important even for those who defend the Hyde Amendment, these, uh, these protections, so that they know when they're in the majority that this is something they is, that is expected of them. Yes. But... I'm old enough, Meg. I've been uh, I've been in this political process long enough for a quarter of a century. I've been in the political process. That sounds like a long time. But I remember when the life issue was contentious among the ranks of Republicans. Right. And so I, I bring that point forward just to say that we've made tremendous progress over the yeah. years to where there's now not a single, single open pro-choice Republican in the House of Representatives. They're not that's, there. That's a, yes. We've made tremendous. And, and, and as, uh, you, you talked, uh, Travis, about the Dobbs uh, case. Uh, that is uh, soon to be before the Supreme, Supreme Court. They're going to have the oral arguments, probably the decision uh, next year. That could essentially send this whole issue of abortion back to the states. And, and then we'll have you know, probably three-quarters of the states to be pro-life, and you'll have a few on the edges that uh, will continue in this pro-abortion, and people will mo- move and vote with their feet. Uh, I think I think we're seeing a, a huge shift taking place, and it's because of the faithfulness and the determination that people have had over the years. Now is not the time to back up or give up. 
No, fully agree. You know, and if you look at um, the Dobbs, we're involved in discussions on the briefing question right now. We're going to be filing an amicus brief in that case, and um, uh, you're you're seeing a lot of energy about uh, the opportunity to protect life and roll back abortion with this Supreme Court case. Um, that, as you noted, being reflected in the states when they're given opportunities to actually ha pass these pro-life laws. I mean, we're seeing pro-life laws advance in the states and being passed in a law now. You look at the full abortion bans most recently in Arkansas that protect life at all stages. And people and their elected leaders are fed up with waiting and, and uh, being mealy-mouthed about protecting life. We need to protect it. They're doing that, and they're not waiting for the courts to to come along. They're they're showing where the voice of the people is. I think we're going to continue to see this, and we're going to continue to see it as we look towards the Dobbs decision, and uh, given the pro-life momentum that's driving things around the country. Well, Travis, thanks so much for uh, being with us. Appreciate all that you and your team do on uh, Capitol Hill. It's been a busy week, but. Guess what? Next week will be busy, too. <laughs> It'll be busy. Thank you. All right. Travis Weber, Vice President of uh, Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. And, again, you go to frc.org slash savehide, and uh, you'll be taken to a, play, a, a point where you can get the information to contact your member of Congress, and you can uh, tell them where you stand on this issue, and it's very important that they hear from you. If you miss that, just go to tonyperkins.org. Come. Uh, what's coming up, education? What are we going to be looking for to next, for next week? We're going to be tracking anything happening in the Department of Education, what's going on in the states, what's going on on local school boards, and hopefully our school board boot camp video will be ready on the website for people to download. We really are excited All to have right. that happen. Well, we'll keep folks uh, updated on that. Meg Kilgannon, great to have you along today as the co-host. It was a lot of fun, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, folks, it was great to have you along as well. Hope you have a great weekend. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.